Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 151 of Death Readers, the podcast where Rob and I read books that we've not yet read for the first time. In this episode, we're going to be reading The Annotated The Hobbit, chapters three through six, written by James Robert Reynolds Tolkien. Mm. Robert Reinhardt? Mm. Robert Reiner? Mm. John Ronald Ruel. Tolkien. Who had a little brother named Hillary. He did have that. And, uh, you know, that's that, I Greek, guess. Greek, Hillary starts with an I. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, so, the we're in the show now. So, how about... <laughs> Do you have any uh do you have any housekeeping? Anything you want to say before we move on? Oh, did I? I thought I might have actually done Oh, yes. Um well we can do this do this here. I looked it up. There are officially thirteen dwarves and a hobbit. Okay, cool. Yeah, I thank you. A party of fifteen. Mm. If Gandalf's still around. I think they I think they even say that in here when they're talking about like fifteen birds in the trees at one point. Right. But but before I got there. I looked it up, and yes, 13 dwarves, a hobbit, and a wizard. Sometimes. And a, and a skin changer. Oh, not yet. Not yet. Did you and, read too far? not long. No, 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 no. Better not um, done. Other than that, thank you for that, by the way. Mm. Um, do you have anything else? I don't. Let's do start. You? Let's just start then. Okay, let's, no, different Actually, mind. wait, 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 wait. Actually, you know what? We should start with something a little different. How about a uh, an update on how far we've walked? Ooh, yes, let's do this would be with the Fantasy Hike app. So, uh, faithful listeners will remember that last episode, we uh, Rob and I decided that we would, you know, start walking to Mordor, or excuse me, Mount Fire, mm-hmm. uh, using mm-hmm. the Fantasy Hike app, which, if you don't know, is just a very, very clearly Hobbit, Lord of the Rings-inspired hike to Mount Doom. Well, again, I want to put this out, because uh, I feel I have to every time. It used to be called Journey to Mordor, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then the Tolkien estate was like, uh-uh, or whoever, New Line, whomever it was. And so it now became the Fantasy Hike app. Yep. And so I started mine mine 15 days ago. We start, I started it. I started mine 14 days ago. Right. Rob's a, Rob's a little behind me, Yeah, as it were. Hmm. And in that, in that time, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty sedentary guy. But I have been able to get up to, as of this morning, yeah, 26.9 miles. That's not bad, man. Thanks. I'm only 217 miles behind Mr. Underhill. Yeah, Mr. Underhill sucks. Uh, did you see the alternate people you can pick? I did see them. Okay, well then, never mind. Um, and, I mean, in, in my defense for what I'm about to say... Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> tell us about how uh, you cheatses. Tell us, Rob. Tell us about I, how you cheatses. I don't cheatses. I have an Apple Watch that monitors every single little thing I do, which is magic, and turns that into uh, walking mm-hmm. movement. Mm-hmm. I also like to bounce on my ball at work instead of sitting in a chair, which apparently mm. records as steps. <laughs> so I've got a few more miles than mm. you. What's in your pockets, precious? That's what I want to know. What You got to guess. Mm-hmm. Is it like a hundred and twenty? It's a hundred and twenty-eight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Somebody they'll say it again. Somebody cheats. It's not cheats. It's not cheats. I told you. You get it. 
If you get, if you just go get an Apple Watch. The point is that you're supposed to be walking, not wriggling. You're not a fish. You're not. You're not like jumping around and doing jumping jacks. And be like, no, no, this is totally. Remember when Frodo jumping jacked his way? You know, uh, through, through, through through Rivendell. He was like, like they they. Uh, he was just like sitting there, just doing burpees, and uh, and it was like, I'll take the ring. You can have my swole. It was just like every uh, every little thing helps, you know. Do you do you um do you, do you, do you play with the app and like you can scroll back and forth and see where you've been? Yeah, but I haven't been very far. So well, I understand, but you know you can do that. Yeah, I do. Okay, I do. well I was gonna say I was gonna warn you that there's spoilers for the book that we haven't read yet, but it won't matter because you won't have got there by the time we read it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've been I'm working gonna, on that burn. I'm doing it the uh, the hard way, as they say. I'm, uh, I'm I'm comfortable with my pace because it's an honest pace. Why it's wouldn't a, you do it the easy way? The easy way. Why wouldn't yeah. I do it the easy way? Yeah. Because it's dishonest. It's uh, it's not in the spirit of the game. I'm I'm very fascinated with the actual thing I wanted to look up. Not not how much I could put my phone in the dryer on low heat and or tumble dry and see how much how much motion I could rack up. No, do you rubber band it to the ceiling fan and turn it on high? Yeah, still not didn't do that either. Fine. Whatever trick that look, I will bow to your you know your your mastery of of. of deceptiveness and you know uh you know clever clever workarounds but uh Thank you. i i i'm comfortable with a hard day's walk well which uh, uh, averages as... which for me only averages where is that data <laughs> sounds like 0.5 a mile a day right there it is coming up my uh my daily average is just shy of two miles a day oh okay is there daily averages? In there? I'm gonna check my daily average. Yeah, if you click the little map button, right. and scroll down, it'll tell you information about what you've done. I'm I'm no longer gonna finish in November though. I'm not having those big days anymore. I'm now oh, cool. projected to finish January fourth. My uh, my honest uh, finished thing is oh, says okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna finish in August twenty eighth, twenty twenty five. So. That's going to take you a bit. Um, where's the, what, what, what were we looking up? So on the bottom, there's four icons. You click the one that's a map and then you scroll down. Right, right, right. And then what am I looking for? Daily average? Daily average. 9.53 miles. That sounds yeah. right. Sure. Yeah, yeah it sounds yeah. right. Yeah. Totally. Going, going running today with my kids. So, you know. To, to be fair to you, I have not even once gone on a nice long walk since I turned this thing on because the weather's been trash. Um, it's it's been pretty uh, rainy, and and you have, like the rain, whereas I <sighs> shirk from it. But my best day, I got five and a half miles. So hey, hey, I bad. again, in terms of an honest day's hike, I'm okay with that. How many? <sighs> but you probably have all these special, like you have way more, like of the the special food things at the bottom too. I don't have that many of those. I got four late mornings, two eleventies, three second breakfasts, and two afternoon teas. Oh, that's. Interesting. Yeah, I have um, more. I'm not. I can't remember if those are d like demerits or positives. Like, <laughs> I think they just. It, it, it's weird that it doesn't tell you in the app. Right. Um. I think it means you have. It's 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 when you take breaks. What right. part of the day you're taking a break in? Well, I, I don't. I think I'm always constantly moving, which is apparently cheating. Uh, <laughs> it some is. People it would is call cheating. It ADHD, but no. Go yeah. ahead and. Impune me. Go ahead yeah, and uh, yeah. Frodo didn't try to knock me down. Frodo didn't fidget his way to the fucking Mountain Doom. Okay, he didn't. He wasn't just like sitting again. 
in Moria, just spinning a spinner going, no, this counts. Every time I flick my wrist, it's a step, guys. I'm there. I'm in my mind. I'm there. I have attention deficit hobbit disorder. That's all I was thinking of. I, you said something about flicking wrists. I don't know. <laughs> you have- How, what, is, what does the D stand for? Oh, right. Deficit. I forgot it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's where we are. If you if you're um, interested in the uh, in the experience of doing the app, then stick app. along with us and see what an honest man looks like. So yeah, uh, f- in 15 days, apparently Frodo went to like you know over. 200 in like almost 250 miles so oh oh um, he's mr underhill huh yeah i knew that i just assumed it was a was a enemy combatant oh no i think it's actually frodo um sure that makes sense which i anyway i don't i don't think it's i don't think they're walking all day they're doing like 13 20 mile days yeah exactly that's all they have to do and he's also the fastest to be to be fair the rest of them are like uh, si- the silly names, I don't like them. Um, but um, yeah, anyway, uh, the, I, I assume that Mr. Underhill is actually Frodo, and that's, you know, that's, that's all good. we need to care about. Yeah, I think that the, um, you were saying like how far they go in a day. I think that the uh, background animation of the, like, the, the place of the sun in the sky is also supposed to dictate to show you how far he would have gone in a day. So, like, I am barely. I don't think I've even walked as much as he walked in his first day after hmm. two weeks. You're still in halfling country. I am still in halfling country, but I am at the road climbs to the top of a steep bank. Hmm. So we'll see where that goes. Anyway, but now well, go ahead. Yeah, no, 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 that doesn't, well, matter. doesn't matter. Now that we're done with the uh, that stuff, so you know, stay tuned if you want to see where we go and how how uh, you know the, the 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 difference between you know. Two men who did the exact same thing as as was assigned to see as a test of science in a one time only once in a lifetime event. Um, I mean, I just I guess I just walk more than you. It's not yeah, really it's my totally, fault. It's totally possible, but do you walk that much more than me? <laughs> I mean, I walk a lot, man. Okay, legs like tree trunks, me. All right. It would be fascinating to give you an honest pedometer and see what that says. Honest pedometer be I, awful I name s- for a band. Speaking of honesty, though, you did explain. You 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 have explained. Hey, by the way, I think my wrist watch is also counting just motion everything I do as walking. So don't try to make this. Don't try to make me the hero now. Oh, you're not. But at least <laughs> um, uh, you're you're more of a of a forthright fool than than anything else. Sorry, <laughs> that I that, that was a little I'll harsher. No, it's okay. It's sounds like a Tom Jones lyric. Ooh, ooh. Um, okay. Wisdom of a fool. So let's actually start the show. Let's unless do you it. Have, you want anything else, right? Nothing else. Nothing. Okay. Not a then thing. Uh, let's get into chapter three. A short rest. Gandalf guides Thorne and company to Rivendell, where they meet Elrond. Here, in the Elvish land, they replenish their wares and rest for two weeks before heading out. It's worth noting. This is the section where Elrond appraises the swords Thorn and Gandalf rescued from the trolls. Mm. Uh, but otherwise, uh, that's that's mostly what happens. It's, it's a lot of description of Rivendell, a lot of description of getting to Rivendell, a lot of other stuff. The, the elves sing songs at them. And anyway, uh, my first note is on page 94. Well, mine's on 89. 
please. Regarding that uh, illustration of Rivendell, every realization of Rivendell I've ever seen, movies, this picture in the book, uh, makes me think of the mountainside slash lake town Hallstatt in Austria, mm. which is where my wife and I really, well, I really wanted to go when my wife and I went to Austria. We didn't make it there because it was very out of the way. It's super lovely. You've probably seen it in photos. It's, you know, there's a mountain coming off a lake and the town just like built right there. It's gorgeous. Um, and it was interesting as I was looking at that and started to read this description, I had that thought and made the first half of that note. And then I continued reading and basically the same thing, except it's just a different place in Switzerland. Yeah. But that's where Tolkien got the idea. And I'm like, huh, fine. I looked up the pictures. They don't look dissimilar. I mean, slightly more Germanic looking in Hallstatt, but I'm like, interesting. I just, I just found that interesting. Yeah. Uh, it also sounds like that hiking trip he took when I read it I thought oh it was like a guided hike for a day like through some stuff and it's like no this was actually like many days like oh yeah they can't sleeping yeah sleeping in the wilderness like going through this thing and then it made me think oh perhaps that's a big part of why he wrote this book the way he did he likes writing about hikers having adventures Yeah. yeah and like he's experienced it so he knows what it's like to be out there and what can happen back in 1911 where things were especially in that area of the world, probably a lot more horse and buggy and, you know. Oh, yeah. Pastoral. Is that the word I'm looking for? Pro- prosaic? Prosaic. Prosaic. Either way. Yeah. They were old-fashioned. They probably had their lumps of cheese and bread wrapped up in a cloth for lunch and waxed paper, and they were all wearing wool and shit. Oh, leather straps on their, uh, on their, on the, not haversack, what's that, Nap- knapsack? Vestibules. Vestibules is a word for like a little room. <laughs> great, 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 great addition, Doug. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm just saying I would love, I would freaking love to have a walking tour through Switzerland in 1911. If um, you can make that happen, I would, day, I would sign it up right now. So I have this like, I haven't done enough of the planning for it yet because I'm still having like a little bit of cold feet about it, but I have this half intention at this point to go to South America next month. Interesting. And um, they... That uh, seems very quick. Mm. You didn't even ask me for permission yet. Maybe it was like, maybe it's in September. Um, anyway, the... Uh, so so there's this uh, place down there, this this in, this in a beautiful uh, rock face, this, this wonderful, like, you know, mountain, essentially. Okay. That is like you remember like that movie Up. I do remember the movie Up. Well, the uh, the the giant like Paradise Falls or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. It's based on this. Where they put the house at the end. Yeah, it's it's based on this actual place in in South America that you can hike to. And one of the things they have there to uh, do as a tourist is uh, you can you can see all these amazing like natural wonders, if you will. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of them. There's one that's like a pretty amazing uh, waterfall, but then there's this this mountain that's the mountain in Up is inspired by the Disney Pixar movie Up, and uh, it's it's this place called Mount Roraima, I think. It's like on the border of Venezuela and, and Guyana, and it's just this really crazy looking, incredible like place. And I was like, I was like, oh cool, I'd love to, I'd love to go there. I'd love to like you know see what that's like. That's a place to be rad to go. But like I'm going if I go, I'm going to be going with my parents and they are in their 60s and do not want to. They're fine with hiking, but they don't sure. want to do a the the required like walk to Mordor. It's like an, a seven to eight day hike. 
to get there. And what does that kind of thing cost? Probably a couple or, thousand dollars, I would okay. guess. And do they provide food? I don't know. I didn't. I, like I said, I knew that it would. Like mm. these, my parents are very much the let's just hang out at the hotel kind of sure. people. And I mean, they'll do a little bit of hiking, but n- nothing. They'll take more than a couple hours. Are so you, it's, are, it's a first bummer question, for me. I guess. Are you? Are you? Oh, so you're not going to do it at all? I'm. Well, I'm gonna. That's the. That's the thing I'm struggling with. Is like I'm probably gonna. I'm probably gonna go. Oh wow. But like I won't be able to go to do this. But mm-hmm. at the same time, actually getting down there isn't that expensive. Anyway, the uh, it, it felt very much like a real, like a, a, not a full length wa- like walk to Mordor, but like a, a similar like thing to what Tolkien did in Switzerland. And it, it was, it's it's interesting to me because I would love to. I I would I don't know maybe I would like to do that just to have done it. I don't mm-hmm. think I'm I don't think I'm the kind of person for doing it. Like I'm way too like overweight to probably be able to make that work easily and i would probably just be a miserable soft foot boy the whole time like my 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 feet would get calluses very quickly and probably be a real problem like i would have to i would have to train to get to the point of being able to do something like that but i would love to and again knowing how inexpensive it is to actually get there like i mean considering where we live and how expensive everything else is like I think the total flights to get all the way down there was something like $600, not including airfare or anything else. But like, my point is, I think I could do it again. So I, I mean, I think I could, I could, even if I like, I go down by myself and I don't do a cool trip like that. And I could probably make it another trip later. That would be fun to do a, tr- uh, like a hike like that and actually make it out to a place like that. I mean, it, it made, I'd never even thought of it. Now I'm looking at like hiking trails in Switzerland and I'm like, I want to go do that now. <laughs> Thanks. J R R. Um, like we could go, my wife could just stay in a hotel for six days. I would go and she would just have six days of quiet works for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. There's no- nothing more romantic than going on vacation with your wife separately. Dude. Uh, for some couples, <laughs> the the wife would consider that incredibly romantic. <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, I, I I I thought that was a really fascinating element about this section too. Is how much it's one of the nice things about reading the annotated version of this book is all these different notes about like almost like a permission to be derivative. I felt mm-hmm. like like when you when there's certain notes where it's like well he clearly got this from this book or he got mm-hmm. he just got this from his experience in life like he when they were hiking on this glacier some there was a bit of a rock fall where the rocks got hot in the summer sun but and they melted little holes in the glacier and that meant that the the rocks had to fall and they came at us and it was so he added that into the story like little things like that were just like oh it's it's not just completely out of whole cloth. It is drawn from personal experience. Fascinating. Or, or like I said, yeah, you know, like, or just take it lifted from somebody else's book. And I thought like, especially with the guy who's re- so well renowned for being such a like innovative, creative, uh, it's still nice to see that he, he still has to draw from source materials and that all storytelling really just draws from personal experience and that that's fine. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But yeah, I also I too would like to go on a hiking trip through Europe. <sighs> okay, uh, ninety four. Next note is ninety one. Oh, there you go. Uh, during the elves' song about Bannocks. Okay, I don't know what that means. Well, they sing. They they say the Bannocks are baking. 
and I had to look it up because there was a note about oh. Bannocks. Um, their, uh, according to their note, is the name in Scotland and North England of a form in which homemade bread is made, usually unleavened, of large size, round, or oval mm. form. Okay. And I looked them up because I was curious, and most of them were, in fact, leavened with baking soda and, you know, buttermilk for that chemical leavening reaction. And I said, no. And I had to, I, no, it was not till I found, um, I cooked the book's blog spot there and back again, Hobbit's menu, did I find a proper unleavened bannock, which is basically just like a, a big Scottish oat cake. Hmm. Found it interesting. I'd look into it. Fascinating. Also- Page 91, I used to annoy the hell out of my daughter with this song. Oh, really? We had the audiobook for The Hobbit when she was very little, and I think it's Rob Iggles, or Ingles, something like that, and he would sing this song, and he would get to the part, and ballin' and dollin' down into the valley in June, ha-ha, and I would just go around <laughs> being like, ha-ha, in June, until she was just like, stop it, with her little frustrated five-year-old rage. It was great. <laughs> And I can never see this part of the book without thinking of that. Aw, that's um, adorable. I thought so. 92. And now you're going to do it this week. Ha ha, in two. And then she'll go, Dad. Father. The annotation on page 92 shows an alternate song, Elvish Song in Rivendell. Mm-hmm. That was eventually published uh, maybe in Finch's Tom Bombadil. Oh. Anyways. I really like this alternate song. It had a lot of great night imagery, night tra- nighttime imagery I enjoyed. And I didn't like this one. Could have been in the book. Much better than the Ha Ha in June song. <laughs> and then my next note's not till page 94. Well, I have a 94. I have two 94s. So why, why don't you take you, a 94 why don't you for take a change? Because you're, okay. you're already in it. Are you sure? Yep. If it's the same note, I, I don't want to step on your toes. That's okay. Okay. Here we go. Page 94. And it is... Uh, Halfway down the page, the clothes were mended as well as their bruises, their tempers, and their hopes, is the line. Okay. My notes. Well, 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 John Ronald Rule Tolkien, late of Exeter College, Oxford, can't be bothered to use a fucking Oxford comma. Oh, well, well, well. Shame, sir. Shame. Well, well, well. He. I also noticed that he does things where he'll say, and this, and this, and this, all in the same sentence. Yes, I thought that was just him being prosy. That word we we learned last time. That I don't really remember what it is. That but wasn't. I like it's, to not, use. it's not what it. It's not what. Shut up. He's totally. He's he's being prosy with his prose. Nope. That's uh. <laughs> you you said prosy and I said is it like being novel and it was like no it's some other word that I totally forgot so we could yeah totally it, do it means like word to learn like it. like boring and sedate. Oh okay. And every day and commonplace. <laughs> uh, my other page. My other note. My next note is on page ninety four. Mm-hmm. Uh, so little was made of the discovery of the swords in the troll's stash that I forgot I had read that part until I went back and looked at it. Mm-hmm. Probably because the movie was shot with like Spielbergian godlike and a swelling orchestra while the book just had uh, some swords on the ground or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I was just I'm like, what, that shit happened? But that's like a big scene. Nope, that was a big scene in the movie where they pulled it out and it's shown in their face. And it was like, oh, not here. It was like, eh, pick up some loot. Let's go. Yeah. And now, Doug. Oh yeah, it is. Uh, that you're you're correct. That is the scene. Uh, that is how it's done in the film, and I I agree that it's it is much more impactful in the movie. There's also I feel like a bit. You really, f- the book tries a couple times, but it doesn't have the same oomph as the movie when it comes to the swords. 
Um, there's plenty of moments where it's like, and then Thorin, you know, swung Orchrist and the oh man did he kill goblins with it it's like okay okay <laughs> I, so I guess i guess that's what happened but similarly my note here is about how despite the discussions of these uh mighty legendary elvish blades that these heroes happened upon in a troll's horde hmm. they don't appraise sting yes and i thought that was interesting that bilbo didn't go hey i have found this what about this one which makes me wonder does Sting have a secret history with a name before uh, Bilbo gave it a name? Oh, I see what you're saying. We get some Sting history at some point. It might be in the next book, though. Mm. So I don't remember when or where that comes in, so I won't say anything about that. I mean, they do at least acknowledge it's Elvish when he's yeah. under the mountain and it's glowing. He's like, oh, I guess this is Elvish, too. But it's it's interesting you mentioned that because... They don't mention that in this section either about uh, Glamdrung or or Orcrist. They, oh, that they'll light up. Yeah, because they don't in the movies either. I don't. Those, those two swords, despite being elvish made, do not glow blue when I, orcs or goblins are nearby. I I thought at least Gandalf's did in Moria in Fellowship. I don't think so. Huh. I'm curious now. And and. Uh, Orcrist definitely doesn't at all in I don't think in the in the entirety of the Hobbits. Here's a question: um, We're not allowed to go back and watch any of the Lord of the Rings movies until we finish that section of the book, right? Sure. Why did you do you do you want? No, to? no, I haven't. I, well, I mean, I'm curious. I'm, I'm interested in sitting down with some fellowship, but uh, I'll wait since that's now our rule. You can do whatever you want, man. No, um, we have to have rules that we follow because we're not cheaters. Yeah, that's that's been proven. That's been so proven. God, what a dick. <laughs> my uh, my other note on ninety four has to do with annotation number eleven. Eleven. Okay. Uh, it says this note about my my note here says the note about high elves being formerly called gnomes is fascinating. Mm. I think I'll just read the note here for those of us who haven't bought this version of the book. The sure. name gnomes was originally used. Uh, for one of the people of the elves, the Noldor, the Quenya, in a letter to Alan and Unwin dated July 20th, 1962, Tolkien wrote that the word was used as a translation of the real name, according to my mythology, of the high elven people of the West, pedantically associating it with the Greek gnome, thought and intelligence. That's what that word apparently means in Greek. But I have abandoned it since it is quite impossible to disassociate the name from the popular association of Paraclesian gnomes. Par Paracelsus, maybe? Paracelsus. Paracelsus was somebody, right? Pa sure. Paracelsian gnomus pygmius, uh, which I think he means small people. Yeah. Uh, gnomes, according to Paracelsus, were elemental creatures of the earth living underground and able to move through earth as freely as, it, as if it were air. In popular tradition, gnomes have often been equated with dwarfs or goblins. And I just thought that was really interesting because it had never occurred to me that the, the the garden gnome, as it were, that gnomes specifically, where, where in a world where we have hobbits and dwarves, gnomes are absent. So different question then. From D&D, &D, there's gnomes and there's halflings. Are they different? Are they same words for different or for their different words for the same thing? I think they're different. Okay. Um, 
Let's see if this book has anything to say about it. What's this book? The Player's Handbook, 5th edition. Mm. Let's see if it has an, a useful appendix. It does. The world's not in your maps, your books. Suddenly I remembered my Charlemagne. Let my armies be the rocks and the trees and the birds in the sky. Okay, so yes, it certainly feels like they are different. Um, a gnome, skinny and flaxen haired. Hmm. Let's see. And then half elf and then half orc and then tiefling. Oh, interesting. So no, no halfling in here. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Uh, anyway, whatever. Yeah, I think they're different, but I... Broke I this whole thing wide open. Doesn't sound like there's any proof that they are. All right, my next note is on page 98. Well, mine's 96. Regarding the Japanese illustration on page 96, I like that Tolkien enjoyed the Japanese illustration and hope we see the portrayal of smog falling convulsively over the lake town, which it mentions him liking. But I will not look ahead to find out about that. We'll just be surprised if it does happen. Very nice. Okay. I'm done with this chapter. Tell me more of yours. Um, my note here, uh, annotation 15 on page 98, just recalls that Aule created the dwarves. This Aule is God? No. Okay. Iluvatar is, is God. Oh, right, 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 right. Aule is one of the uh, Ainor? I forget okay. which which word it is, but um, that's a Gandalf. Nope. What's Gandalf? I don't think there's there's it's it gets confusing. Um, okay. but there are there are there are multiple like ranks of things, but I forget what I forget. It's I, I think Aule is number one, and then there's the rank below him, and I believe Aule is in that rank. This thing says. Durin is the name of the eldest of the seven fathers of the race of dwarves. In the Peoples of Middle-earth, Volume 12 of the Histories, and some writings originally intended to be part of the Appendix A of The Lord of the Rings, we learn that the seven houses of the dwarves are the Longbeards, Firebeards, Broadbeams, Iron Fists, Stiffbeards, Blacklocks, and Stonefoots. Stonefeets! In The Hobbit, we are told that Biffer, Bofer, and Bumber are of a different line than Durin's, which, but which line is unspecified? The distinction of seven houses is a later conception, first mentioned in Appendix A in the first edition of The Lord of the Rings. In the original edition of The Hobbit, Durin's line represents one of only two races of dwarves. This statement remained unchanged until Tolkien's revisions in 1966. For the story of the creation of the dwarves by Aule, see Chapter 2 of The Cimmerillion. In calling the dwarves Longbeards, Tolkien is probably recalling the Lombards, Longbeards of Old English, Longbeardan, a Germanic people renowned for their ferocity. See Volume 5 of the Histories, The Lost Road. So yeah, we should probably just read the Cimmerillion, just so you no, know, get No, don't make me do it. Stuff. No. Just, you know, just so we can get all that, like, clarified. Stop trying to make me Stephen Colbert. I'll never be Stephen Colbert. <laughs> You'll be Stephen Colbert if I have to break your ear myself. I don't get it. He has a funky ear that's, uh, he, he's kind of deaf in it. Really? Yeah. Huh. It also doesn't have a lot of, like, uh, cartilage. It flops over. Huh. Do you not know everything way, about or... him? I don't. I don't. I know a lot of things about a lot of people, but I know almost nothing about him. 
He's Catholic and he seems to like his wife. Valar. That's what Alma is. So wait, what's a Gandalf? Uh, no, I was wait, I was right. He's an Ainur. Um, so he it's a okay. Alma is a is an Ainur, which is the being com- beings encompassing both the Valar and the Maiar. They were the first of the mightiest beings created by Iluvatar long before the beginning of the world. And the the Maiar is what Gandalf is, I think. The, really? Oh. The Valar, I believe, are like... Well, this is confusing. I'm sure this will all be answered. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all going to be there at some point, but I'm pretty sure that... Yeah, Gandalf is a Maiar. Okay. Uh, prim- primordial spirits created to help the Valar first shape the world... They were numerous, though not many were named. Oh wait, actually, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. It just gets it's so it's so confusing. You know, Manwe and uh, Ilmare. It says here in this notes that uh, five of these spirits in the Third Age became the incarnated wizards. So Gandalf is a incarnate Meyer. Okay. Yeah, it's fascinating, and to be you know, if we if we read it all, maybe it'd be like a language we would just learn if we just read it. You know. So we could, we wouldn't know it. Well, that brings us to chapter four. Over hill and under hill. Bilbo, Gandalf, and the dwarves made their way through the safest mountain pass Elrond could recommend. So much for Elrond the trip advisor, because the company of Thorin is captured by goblins after seeking shelter from the thunder battle. Separated from Gandalf, the rest of the party find themselves interrogated by the great goblin, who recognizes Thorin's sword as the evil Arkrist. Orc, orc, orcrist? Yeah. Orc, orc Christ. Orc Christ. The great goblin leaps at Thorin, and Gandalf intervenes with a blast of light. The goblin leader is smashed to bits and escapes, and, uh, well, that's, my sentence got confusing here. I'll just say what I mean instead of okay. reading it. Hey, man. Gandalf blasts the great goblin to bits and escapes with the rest of their party. He sure does. They run and hide and fight and escape from the goblins as best they can, but unfortunately a small misstep sends Bilbo unconscious into the cavernous abyss. My first note is on page 104. Mine's on 106, so take it. Yay! Um, the lightning battle and the uh, and the stone giants differ in the book and the movie quite a bit. Mm. In the movie, the lightning battle is caused by the stone giants, but in the book, they seem to be coincidental. Yeah, the stone giants just having a game of catch. And and from the annotations, it certainly seems like the stone giants might also just actually be stone trolls, not actually like the massive colossal beasts that are essentially living mountain in, as depicted in the movie, mm-hmm. um, which I, I think kind of throw I, I get it as a fun fantasy thing, but I think it kind of throws the scale of Middle Earth off to have creatures that large and that powerful. Oh, in the Peter Jackson version. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah, it's 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 fine and exciting and tense and whatever, but it just feels like. It feels out of place mm-hmm. to me. Although, you know what? If I if I could have had that over him just trying to recapture all the poignant scenes from the first one, mm-hmm. I would have preferred it. I didn't, I didn't need Gandalf doing, Gandalf doing his creaky, angry thing again or whispering to the butterfly bullshit again. That was just yeah. like, come on, man. There's, mm. anyway, I don't need to go into it. Okay. Oh. Uh, uh, my next notes on page one. My next notes on page one hundred five. Please. It says here, I'm really enjoying Tolkien's playful turns of phrases like, "You certainly usually find something if you look, but it's not always quite the something you were after." Those 
those are really fun to me. Like mm. where it, it, they remind me of a what are those called? Yogiisms, the Yogi Berra oh, okay. uh, things yeah, yeah, that he would say, you know, um, I don't have a great, I didn't take a note of an example of those, but like, um, they're famously like kind of redundant. Yeah. They're, they're just sort of like, it's like, if you could boil down an idiot savant into a phrase, that's what <laughs> they all are. They're just sort of these really like ridiculous comments. They almost sound profound. And then you think about it a little too long and you're like, wait a second. Yeah. Yeah. But I wrote here that these are fun, and I'm worried there will be far fewer of them in the Lord of the Rings trilogy uh, than we than we deserve. I think you're right. I think because the whole conceit of how this is written is kind of like a grandfather talking to his right. grandkids, telling a story, whereas that's right. more of a, we're down to serious history business. Yeah. All right. Uh, 107 is my next note. 106. There's a note about Algernon Blackwood. Okay. And how... His children's play is where Tolkien may have got the the crack that opened up and the goblins came out. Mm-hmm. Um, even though that specific was, well, but that specific thing was also attributed to the person who wrote with Algernon Blackwood. But it was just interesting because I've only ever heard of Algernon Blackwood associated to horror. He was apparently a huge influence on Lovecraft and his story, The Centaur, is supposed to be really scary. Um, I've never read it, but it's just, this is the first time I ever heard that he wrote children's stories, and I was like, oh wow, oh. weird fascinating it'd be like realizing that there's a 1937 the cthulhu in the hat <laughs> i would read mind. that what um so it was interesting so yours is 107 um no Please. but i but again like that's another in reference to the, the point i interrupted mm. with which was that like it's fascinating to see the to see the annotated version and be like oh yeah this is very clearly a like a lifted, if you will, from this other story that Tolkien definitely read previously. And same later when we come to the chapter about the werewolves and the witch. Um, yeah. Like that section where it's like, oh, wow, fascinating. He just he just transposed a scene. And it's like, you know what? Maybe maybe uh, that's OK. <laughs> isn't, well, isn't don't they say all artists theft? Yeah, but all like I feel like theft. that's. I feel like that's a dismissive to a way that I don't like. I, I've, I've always internalized that as a guilty feeling about it. Cause I feel like, you know, you, you shouldn't want to do that with uh, art, but I, anyway, it's just, I think it's a lot more like just recognizing that sometimes things just tell a good story and it's okay to let that happen. Hmm. If they do like, like the, the example I like to cite is uh, the scene in Top Gun when they are having their class in the middle of an active airplane hangar if you listen to the commentaries and the special features of that movie, there's a, the guy who was their like military liaison guy, the guy who's responsible for making sure that they get everything right. And they use everything well was apparently very furious through the production because they kept doing stuff that was absolutely not realistic. Like I that completely understand that. And he, he was just like through the whole production, just trying to tell the producers, like we, we would never do that. This is an active airplane hangar. You wouldn't like have, if you were learning to be a chef, you wouldn't have a class inside the oven. It doesn't make sense like <laughs> to do this. It's, it's dumb. And then they just mm-hmm. looked at him and were like, yeah, but it looks cool. And then he was, and then he, he acknowledges they were right because it does look cool, but like he had to let go of his commitment to reality and rational uh, decision-making and, and representation <sighs> in order to allow for that those people to do their jobs, which was to tell a good story and make something interesting, which that's why I, kinda, I don't watch Top Gun. And I feel like that's kind of like what's happening here with Tolkien, where it's like he could rack his brain trying to come up with something that he feels like he created wholly originally, or he could just say, I remember this great scene I liked a lot. I'm going to borrow from that and build a new scene like it. Mm-hmm. 
or use these bits and pieces to build like the ingredients of a story to build a different story. It's just interesting to see and it's uh, enlightening and I like it. All right. 107. After reading this much. Okay. Get ready for a fight. Oh no. After reading this much of the Hobbit and all of Harry Potter, I can say with great confidence that if you think it would be fun to put a song into your book, don't. (laughs) I don't think I'm going to fight you on that. (laughs) Italics is no substitute for melody, meter, or tune. (laughs) So I, I just, there's just so much of this book that is Tolkien getting into poetry and writing these little songs. And they drive me fucking crazy because I don't, I want to hear the song, but right. like, cause then I would be able to judge it. Cause like when you, when you hear like the arrangement of the Misty mountains in the Hobbit movie, it's like, Oh wow, that's really cool. Yeah. That's great job guys. But, um, or even like the, uh, the, you know, blunt, the knives, uh, song hmm. it's fine. It works. But like the goblin town one doesn't <laughs> in the movie and it doesn't work here. I don't even remember here. that. I don't even remember it. It's, it's basically the great goblin saying some weird stuff briefly and then, it's it's I guess a song, but it's just too much. It's just too much singing, too much the, the elf song when they're in Rivendell, and, and I I mean you, I'm glad you have your memory with it, but I remember just reading it and going, first off these elves seem much too playful. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. I I think it's just a British thing, maybe. Ugh, the British, the British. Why can't the British learn how to not sing? <laughs> um. So yeah, that's that's a. That's a note there. Just I'm just over it, and I'm ready for it to be done. See, that's extra funny because Rex Harrison talk sang all of the songs he, he actually didn't sing. Right, he did. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was very proud of that. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Not that it occurred to me in retrospect, and I'm like, oh, that gives it an extra layer of depth. And if I say it out loud, I'll seem really deep myself. Um, totally intended from the beginning. Continue. Page one ten. Right. Um, mine is one oh eight. All about uh, Tolkien's goblins resembling the goblins in George MacDonald's The Princess and the Goblin. Mm-hmm. I love this note just because Tolkien starts off being fine with George MacDonald and then just kind of goes off on him. And it, that just amused me. Just that whole <laughs> Tolkien's feelings about George MacDonald changed over the years. Uh, Tolkien's feelings like, about himself change sh- over the years. <laughs> also true. Um I just kind of like I, 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 I like the little story of Tolkien being a little bitch. I, I like how uh yeah, how like critical he is, but mm. also how like how relentless he is too. Like he he just never stops being like critical of himself or others. Like in, in these letters, these little bits, there's the part later where they talk about and I'm sorry if this is a note you have because I don't think it's one I have, but they talk about the uh the criticism of calling the goblins little boys in the taunt that Gandalf nope, uses. Didn't have that. Didn't have that. One. And it's it's like it's really strange to read it because you're like, wow, this is a creepy. Like this is just an odd insult, um, and it doesn't really fit for me. But like, then you look, I look a little further, and it's like, oh, um, he didn't know how to. He doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> like he <Right>. doesn't understand <laughs> how to be like, uh, uh, how to how to mock people in a in a way that would sound Dave. like a wizard would or like right, right. That, like would, would actually be really really like harsh for them to hear and antagonistic I mean, he graduates he just, to fool of a took in the next book so he does that's, that's better i guess then you just, shut up little boy or look at the little boys wishing they could eat me <laughs> like what boys who play with fire get are, are naughty and yeah. they're bad 
Yeah, it's it's like, what, dude? It's so weird. Um, so it's cool that he can go back and go, yeah, that was dumb. I it, it doesn't really fit. I shouldn't have done that. But like, I don't like how much he's th- again. I, one of the things that's fascinating about this is I I actually don't like how much he changes his original book because it's it you know we'll get there. But this is part of that of like sure. of uh how 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 much it makes me wonder like what am i actually experiencing like is the the hobbit that like we've talked about this before but the hobbit that we're reading and experiencing for me the first time is not the not the 1931 original it's not it's not the same book and mm-hmm. that like that is it's it's again it brings to light the star wars conundrum of what what should you what should be done with art you know although this book gives us both versions essentially which is kind of cool it is, but it's also for me very annoying because I don't like. I, it's it's not entirely the whole thing. It's just like sometimes the whole the different things, like the part I where they, they, they. I thought well, every note that said originally it was this and now it's this gave us the whole thing. I don't think that's the case because okay of, okay. of these later notes these these annotations later where it will actually show you like full pages and pages of the other version that make me wonder how much of the original version is still on the page that we isn't notated? Perhaps. However, that was the chapter I was alluding to last time, where oh, specifically right. Tolkien had changed a huge chunk, and we'll talk about that more in next chapter. Okay. Um, okay. So I, I feel like that could just be the one-off, but we'll see. Okay. And uh, my 110 is... Okay. Uh, this has to do with the the illustration at the top of page 110. I say here that the it's interesting that the illustration for the Great Goblin in the German edition resembles the Date Masamune Crescent Moon Kabuto, which would be a Japanese influence. I mean, you're 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 streets ahead of me, but I definitely got the Japanese influence part. Yeah, Date Masamune, as far as I remember, was a like a either a I don't remember what his full rank was, if he was just a samurai or a lord of some kind, but he had a very famous, and it could be more than him, but I, this is how I know it. He had this very famous uh, kabuto that was had this very, very large crescent at the top of it that is like in museums and stuff, because it's just, it was very, apparently very unique at the time, but it's been oft imitated, as they say. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's kind of fascinating to me that this was there. No, that's extra fascinating, because I never realized that was a specific... Design because I don't remember yeah. the words you said. Um, I just assumed that was part of the samurai regalia because it's been used so often. It, it has, and it, the thing is that the the kabuto, which I think is the name of that helmet, okay, is uh has there's very there's a variety of designs for it, but that this guy specifically had this enormous crescent at the top that looked mm-hmm. that kind of looked like like horns or like a bull's horns or like sure. cow's horns a little bit, but it's. It's very much supposed to be just I think like his his I think was painted gold. Sure, it was just interesting to see that because it's like oh this is a German seventies illustration, but it makes the goblin look Japanese. Is this a throwback to the kind of buck tooth fanged Japanese uh, uh, characters from comic books in the thirties and forties? You know, where it's like it's like to say it's not just enough to say that they're goblins. We also have to say that these horrible, monstrous goblins are also Japanese. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. It's a it's a really good point. I just and also curious about the relationship with the, why the why the German version was it? Was why it did a German artist? Japanese. Well, well, also, was it a German artist? Was it 
because it doesn't say that. It just says for the German version. Well, and we know it does say Klaus Einskat, oh. so I could okay, guess fair enough. from some Germanic country, if not Germany fair, itself. Fair enough. Uh, I, 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 I missed that part. Einskat, sorry. But yeah, like it, it's a, uh, it makes me a lot of questions. A lot of questions about like, what does that mean? Is this like residual resentment for some from World War II slight? I, I mean, pl- plenty of wonders about the relationships between. Sure, the we can speculate, but but it is definitely intriguing. It is. I w- I would love to. Why isn't there not more annotations about this? Right. Book book annotate more. Especially when so many of these artists we get whole backstories of. Yeah. And here we just get. Eh, this is interesting. Ne- next, like no, well, and why or, or or things like like. Even to the point of like little things like the an I didn't I did not want to bring this up, but now I feel like this needs to be brought up in this relation to this concept specifically. When this book takes the time to define a very specific word that has a function as a slur, mm. uh, that's used in the book in its non-slur ver use. Ah, this would be in the elf song right yes. next to Bannock's earlier. Yeah. Yes, this would be a bundle of sticks for those listening yeah. at home. Yeah, that word. Yeah. The book made a made a point to be like, by the way, this word means this. And as a preface to the next line about the Bannocks, it was all compressed into one note. They're like, eh, th- this word is bundle sticks. Now let's talk about some oat cakes. Yes, yes. And to, to go to that extent to be like, hey, you you cheeky, you know, bastards, like don't don't think that Tolkien was sitting around being a bigot here. That's this word has a different meaning. That's the word he was referring to. The elves are not setting people on fire. uh, But here to, to, to let something like this go without any more context, it's a little like, I'm not going to say irresponsible, but it's just disappointing. It's just a bummer to not get more. I, I mean, unless they could find no more about Klaus Inescat and why there was Japanese influence on his art. Maybe they're like, I got nothing. Here's an interesting illustration. Otherwise, it's speculation. I don't know. Perhaps, perhaps. I, I, but considering how many other Another, things they get into, uh, I, it would just be cool. I, I, I don't know. I don't feel like it's too much to ask, Rob. It's not. Well, my next note's on the facing page. Do it. And on the annotation number nine, because I read that word as shrieking. Until the annotation called my attention to the fact is actually striking, meaning basically the same thing, but I really liked it. Hmm. Shrike, the term striking comes from shrike, a shrill cry, a screeching. Like the bird. Right. Unless it is shrieking, and I'm just totally misremembering how shrieking is spelled. But I like the idea of striking being a word, and I'm going to use it until somebody <laughs> British corrects me. Perfect. I've got a I've got a brief note on page one twelve. Okay. Just simply, hey, look, the sword glows, which finally pops up. But again, like we don't get any introduction to earlier, which is interesting and fine. Like it's one of those things where it's like, oh, the author didn't forget that Bilbo had a sword. He was waiting to share information about that sword with us until now to let it to show, not tell, to sit down and go, oh, look, it's glowing blue. I don't remember if it's explained that, like, I don't remember how or where it's explained that, it must be right here, that that it will glow blue when goblins are nearby, but I know there's a moment where it's discussed. Um, here, I'll just read this section. Please. Uh, it burned with a rage that made it gleam if goblins were about. Now it was, a br- it was bright as blue flame for delight in the killing of the great lord of the cave. So it explains right there, but it doesn't. The, the interesting thing about that is it's that actually is more telling, not showing. It's it's a weird mix of both, because it's 
it's telling you, yeah, it just glows when goblins are around, but it doesn't have any in-world explanation for why that information comes about. That's the problem I have. It's, I'm sorry, I've just, I've just realized that that was the problem and I'm happy about it. <laughs> it like, it, it's explained, we see it being used, so it's, again, a like 50-50 show and tell, but then at the same time, it, why does Bilbo learn that? Like, who, who explains it? In what function does that information come about organically? And I mean, it's not there. Unless everyone just knows that about Elvish Blades and the, the book's just telling us. But again, like, I have this huge problem with this in the movies because and in the in the function of the story in general, because my guess is like, I'll be happy to be wrong about this. But if every time an Elvish Blade is used in combat in mm-hmm. the Lord of the Rings movie or books, if it's not clearly described as, hey, when they're fighting goblins and in and, 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 and stuff, it's it's glowing blue. It's going to feel weird. It's going to feel weird but, if they're not all glowing blue all the time. Doesn't. Well, okay. First of all, maybe it's only blades made in Gondolin. Also, maybe blades. it's maybe it's only against goblins and not Urukai. Maybe somehow the the because Urukai are actually like m- m- you know elves themselves. I doesn't in Ian Holm specifically tells Elijah Wood that the blade will glow blue around goblins. Right, that's in the movie. I think so. So th- to let the audience know, that's why it's going to be happening. Right. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, anyway, it's just, I, I'm just thinking about, like, okay, well, Legolas doesn't really use a blade that much. He uses a bow and arrow, so it he wouldn't make sense. He has two knives, though. He does, and they presumably are Elvish-made. But maybe not Gondolin-made, again. But, like, or, or the, like, what about all the swords that the the hobbits get? Like, are they not Elvish? Again, it's just, like, if it's, they if might it's Elvish. They might That's what I'm, if that's it's, what I'm. Well, you're, but I, I'm saying that's a wonderful ex- explanation. It's not, I don't, I want to see it explained in the book. I want to see the part where they're saying, oh, specifically Gondolin made blades glow blue. Well, I should want to look now because I remember when Thorne was, would you say that note happened when they described it? 112 is where I saw it. They And they do mention Gondolin. I don't want you to get the idea that like, I don't know that. It's just that. No, I know. I, I wonder if that's the piece. No, that's no, missing. no, 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 no. When does, when. Elrond is saying, oh, these swords. Oh, those When's swords. That? Um, that was, where was my note about not sting? Uh, 94. Right. 94. That's the only place where it might come up. That day he looked at the swords they had brought from the troll's lair and said, these are not troll make. They're old swords, very old swords of the high elves of the West, my kin. They were made in Gondolin for the Goblin Wars. For the Goblin Wars, that's, hmm. They must have come from the Dragon's Horde, blah, blah, blah. This thorn or crest, famous blade, full hammer, keep them well. Nothing. I think that Gandalf's blade glows blue in the book. Mm. I, I, I don't remember it precisely, but my memory of reading this chapter is that occasionally his is all he makes so much explosions too, though, that it's hard to, I feel like if he still has that sword in Lord of the Rings, uh, that'll come up in Moria. So we'll just have have to wait. Yes. Fascinating. Okay. I have a note here on page one fourteen. Okay. I, I, here's on, on, uh, it's, it, it has to do with the annotation where, uh, it must be the annotation where my note, cause my note is, on Goblin Feet, it's interesting how much old Tolkien dislikes the folky whimsy of younger Tolkien. It's the song. He 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 didn't like that song he made <laughs> when he grew older, and I think that's hilarious to me. Because <laughs> again, it's just the same thing about him being like, 
after he gets all like after he gets real like miserable i mean i don't think he's actually miserable but like i think it's fair to say that the lord of the rings in relation to the hobbit is a much more stern story mm. and it's it, it 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 seems like it pulls a lot of that fun and whimsy out of or away from the original book and it's funny how old Tolkien, who has already written all that stuff, will looks back at the Hobbit and goes, Ugh, "Not dark enough." And I, I think that's really f- fun. I, every time it happens, I, I like it. Well, I think there is a lot of to be said about you know, World War Two impacting. Oh yeah, because that would have happened after. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's a good point. I forgot. I forgot that that's the thing that happens between those two things. Pretty I much. Thought, yeah. I, I thought that like that had happened. I, I, I forgot. Yeah, okay. Oh, take, it, take it with a grain of, oh shit, life sucks, has happened to a lot of people, yeah. including probably Tolkien. Oh, absolutely, Tolkien. Fascinating. Also, I think it's worth noting here, because I can't remember, I didn't take a note on it, but it's worth remembering or noting. In the book so far, Gandalf, I do not believe, is noted to have been carrying a staff. He is noted as carrying a wand. Yeah. And multiple times the word wand is used for the magic utensil he uses mm-hmm. as magic a wizard. Utensil, I like that. Um, that's a really good point. And maybe he just takes up a staff because he gets older or I don't know what the difference is. I don't. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've, I've noted wand. I've never noted staff. Yeah. There you go. There All right. Go. Anything else in that one? Nope. All right. That brings us to chapter five. Riddles in the dark. Bilbo wakes in the darkness and fumbles around with only his glowing blue dagger to guide him. He finds a ring as he scrambles about and puts the trinket into his pocket. Before long, he is spotted and stalked by Gollum, a grotesque, slimy, dank creature who makes these depths his home. Gollum challenges Bilbo to a riddle competition where if he wins, he eats Bilbo, and if he loses, he helps Bilbo escape. Bilbo wins by cheating and turning invisible with the help of his magic ring. He then follows Gollum around the caverns, looking for a way out. Distraught and heartbroken at the loss of his precious ring, Gollum weeps in the middle of a passageway, blocking Bilbo's way out. Bilbo considers killing the creature, but shows pity and simply leaps over Gollum and chases his way into a pack of goblins. After a bit of ducking and dodging the goblins, uh, Bilbo makes it outside, missing a few buttons. I mean, I, I don't think he cheated. He did. Uh, he was talking to himself. Gollum took it as a submission for their contest and then accepted. So that was really his fault. It's not cheating. No, no, that's not the cheat. The cheat is the part where he doesn't reveal what was in his pocket to confirm that it was either not nothing, a string, a... Gollum didn't pay to else. look at his cards. But that's how that's how the confirmation of the, of the thing wasn't works. wasn't ever specified in the rules. It, it wasn't, it, okay, it, I'll accept your premise, even though it's not strictly a riddle. However, you have to show me what's in the pro- the pocket if I get it wrong. Never established. It's 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 sort of established in the, the concept of, you know, a challenge. If you have a trivia question, and in order to prove you got the question wrong, you need to know what the correct answer was. Nope. Okay, well, see, once again, this is, <laughs> just comes down to a simple lack of understanding of simple things like rules and customs and decency. Customs? Nope. Oh, see, it's you're fine. throwing all these new words in there now to, to, to try to make your point because you can't do it uh, with the word cheating I, alone. I've I've done I've done it. It's fine. It's once again, uh, as as someone who is comfortable playing by the rules, I am confident that the people who need to understand it do. It's mad that I'm farther and closer to Mordor. Well, I mean, in in your own mind, you are. 
Uh, and, and, and in the app. <laughs> Riddles in the Dark is the most famous chapter Tolkien ever wrote, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I would agree with you. Well, then I don't need this extra line, fight me, here. Um, okay. Well. This section, I mean, this is this is mythic. This, this shit frightened me as a child when I would watch this section in the Rankin and Bass movie. It's the first thing I think of when I think of Hobbit or Gollum. It's it's the creature in the dark that wants to get you. That's primal terror shit. I love it. Well, it's also that element of somebody playing with their food. I think that's like scary because mm. that's what Gollum's doing. He's he's announced, I want to eat you, but I want to earn it <laughs> because I could simply kill you right now. But that wouldn't be fun. Little uh, little little Baltimore Institute for the Criminally Insane there. <laughs> A little bit. When you think about it. Yeah, that's funny. I hadn't thought of it that way. So uh, my first note is on, uh, but I want to, I'm sorry, I want to agree further and harder that, yes, I think this is, this is a, in a, in a career of, of, of groundbreaking, you know, world changing influence, this chapter specifically is probably the most rem- well-remembered part, mm-hmm. like, they, like to the point where they, they had changed it in the movie, if they hadn't done it perfectly in the movie. Mm. I don't it know if it did it perfectly in the movie. But oh, what what did they miss in the movie? I don't. It just didn't have that same feeling that even the rank and the bass had. It it just wasn't like this chapter for me. You remember the movie Lord of the Rings? Uh huh. Where they're in Moria. Yeah. And they're talking about the creature Gollum, and they cut to Gollum following them, and he opens his eyes, and all you see is his reflective eyes. That's terrifying. When we're introduced to Gollum in movie two, it's just Smeagol, and it's not as scary. This chapter is that unknown creature from the first well, movie. I, I agree. I, th- I think he should I, – I think I hear what you're saying. It would have been nice to if he had been a little more uh, threatening and not yes. just like – not just a, a goofy little monster. But I think that uh, – I think that, that in the movie, the – the Bilbo performance is 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 perfect. I oh, sure. Okay, yes, that, absolutely. That's really Martin well Freeman's done. Bilbo is great in that scene. Right. I just wanted Gollum to be a little more mysterious, a little scarier, a little yeah. more hiding in the dark. Even though we yeah. know who Smeagol is, I would have liked that introduction to be like, I don't care if you've seen the other movies, you don't know this Gollum yet. Right. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. That that would have been it. Would have been nicer to him to be a little more threatening, a mm-hmm. little scarier, maybe even a little grimier like i feel like i feel like Gollum should always have this sort of like because he's a cg character i'm I'm sure it's hard to do this but i feel like he should always have like a little bit of like sloth moss on him like you know how like like sloths will get they will get dirty and covered in moss because they don't move enough and they sort of soak in water that is covered in moss i feel like Gollum should have something like that he should he should be just Dirty. He should be actually like someone who lives in the mud. Like if you pulled out a worm, Walking that's what athlete's foot. Look like. Yeah. But anyway, my my next note uh, is one twenty two. One seventeen. All right. Bilbo could not swim. I just wondered if that had if he also had a fear of drowning since that's how his parents perished. I wonder if there was oh, a, wow. a line between the two, or if just hobbits aren't necessarily swimmers. I guess again, like we were talking about, this was written back in nineteen thirty one. Maybe people just swam less. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they swam more. Less internet back then. Less internet, but, you know, more fear of water. It was not a thing that was necessarily like, not everyone taught their kids to read, not everyone taught their kids mm. to swim. Hmm. Never occurred to me. Uh, 118. Tolkien's description of fish evolving in the darkness sets up Gollum. 
Yeah, but I, I feel like my experience with that, I was actually had a thought about that, where my experience with those creatures is always that they end up losing their eyes out of out of uh, atrophy, not that they end up becoming stronger and bigger because they need to see more light. You end up well, with those blind, uh, like, lizards or, or a fish like that with, without eyes. I think perhaps that even lends more credence to my point because it just means Tolkien knew how to set up things coming up and didn't understand science so well. <laughs> Maybe. Um, so or perhaps nothing... both things can be true. I just want to point that out. Yeah, also, also, also possibly true or not at all. Um, my next note, not till 129. Take it away, all right, one, 122. It's interesting how many descriptions of Gollum suggest his previous life as a hobbit, living with his grandmother in a hole by a river, paddling his boat with his large feet. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much of this is retconned. Mm. Well, I'm going to say since... The book has given us every little change so far. None of it. And and it does it does feel like the river folk being very similar to a hobbit was an addition of Lord of the Rings. And Tolkien just went back and went, Oh, I can make this work. Mm. Hole in the ground. I've already said hobbits live in a hole in the ground. That, that, yeah, this could work. But it, uh, it's just not. it's interesting how like in this chapter and then annotations discuss how many different artist interpretations there were of Gollum that are entirely different and, and varied and crazy. Mm. And then, you know, we come to the Alan Lee version and that's the version that ends up getting on screen, which becomes kind of definitive. Um, and I think is is more accurate to what it sounds like he was kind of going for. But it, it's interesting to think about how little description he actually puts into it and how sure. important of a creature it should have been to have no ambiguity about. And according to Tolkien, Gollum had clothes. Whereas yeah. almost everyone has depicted him with some kind of loincloth. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, my next note is 132. 129. The sudden awareness of the enemy is always unsettling to me. Specifically meaning, never guessed, said Gollum. Then suddenly, out of the gloom came a sharp hiss. What has it got in its pocketsis? That's when he's mm-hmm. realizing, oh, you've got my ring. Right. That's always that's always when the when, when the enemy catches on like that is almost like oh I'm glad they used it because it because it was definitely a a chilling moment yeah just liked it myself three beers three beers I don't know what does that what does that mean ah <laughs> uh, I believe it was dry glassen sure <laughs> all right uh one thirty two does you have anything before that oh one thirty one okay. 131. Uh, this is the first Gollum has a proper conversation with himself, just mm, like yeah. in the uh, the movies. And I was like, oh, wow. Even back here. Yeah. Um, what a wonderful character creation. What, mm. what a wonderful like like this. I will point this out for as much as I was talking about his derivativeness and his borrowing. I don't think there's any mention here about, well, the character of Gollum was clearly referenced as this thing from here. Right, right, right. I don't, I don't see any of that in this annotation at all. When Chaucer's knight had dissociative identity disorder, no, nothing. Right, yeah, exactly. It, it's it seems wonderfully original. Mm-hmm. So far, I mean, unless somebody wants to tell me later or comment or send us an email or something, I'm gonna assume that it's uh, perfect. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've got nothing till 134. Okay, uh, 132 is just I hate riddles and I hate uh, even more notes on riddles. <laughs> um, yeah, I I I like riddles. And um, I thought it was because, as Tolkien mentioned, riddles are so, um, what's the word they use about how serious the game is? Sacred. Mm. I just thought that was kind of cool. I I, I like the, like, yeah, it got a little tedious reading the old English and shit, but 
I, I, I liked it. Yeah, sure. I'm sorry, I'm sorry you don't like riddles. Well, I mean, I, my, my problem is, I, and I've, I'm sure I've told you this before, I don't know if I've said it on the podcast, is I feel like they're, I feel like riddles are, they're antithetical to creativity because they are, well, well, they have this cleverness about them. They force you into one mode of thinking. Only one answer can be correct when it comes to a riddle. And I don't like that rigidity. I, I think that the, because then it's just like, I'm just bored. Like, I just feel like I, I don't find any joy in trying to figure out how you're imagining the world. Like, that doesn't excite me. If, wow. Especially if you're going to make me, like, especially if you're going to make me fight for it. I would so much, like, you know, 32 white horses on a red hill. They stamp, they champ, and then they stand still. Okay, you're going to tell me it's teeth. That's fine. I don't, I don't care. Like, I, I just, it has no joy for me. Really interesting. Because yeah. I see it as like a fun word puzzle. Also, slash a quick um, Cliff's notes into how this other person thinks. I think that, I think that's a fair way to think of it. I just, I find it tedious and no, obnoxious. That's, like, that's totally fair. Because for me, it's like, again, like, I, I would just rather, I don't enjoy, I don't enjoy puzzles or games like that either. Like, because I feel like, I think the main thing is like, I feel like there is a shame in getting it wrong. And I feel like that's part of the fun for the person on the other end is embarrassing you for not being able to get their thing. And that I find is like, is malicious and cruel and fuck that. Just play a, (laughs) play a better game. Not in my house. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I fucking hate riddles. (laughs) They, they are all those things I said. And, uh, they can uh, fuck off. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to burn on that for a while. Uh, 136. Okay, my last note. It's kind of about the chapter. Uh, but I'm going to say it here because it's, for whatever reason, related to 134. I always start this chapter terrified of Gollum and end it feeling heartbroken for him. Yeah. Mostly because even if you can see glimpses of reclamation in him, you know it will never happen. There's no way back for him. He's a truly pitiful creature. It's just, it's wretched. Yeah, it's he's 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 both scary and you can see where it came from and you feel bad and there's nothing you can do. And it's 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 such an interesting feeling. Yeah, it's an interesting character to look at and go and and to apply to other people in your life, I think, where you have to look at them like and go, okay, like Gollum is the perfect example of the lost cause. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, there is. There is just you just look at him and you go, there's I can't. I can, no no one no one will succeed at helping this person. And I think I, unless they're incredibly lucky, everyone's got something like this in their life. Totally, that you can apply that golem uh, to, and you're like, it's 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 sad, and there's nothing you could do. Yep. Yeah, just Sucks. They, just move on and try to limit how much it affects you. I guess. Yeah, is the best way. But yeah, no, it's it, this chapter is great for that. The part where he's sobbing and weeping because you can tell he's lo- like the thing that he's given up his humanity for is now gone. Right. And he has nothing. He has nothing. And you want you would like to make him feel better. But if you did, he would literally kill you. It's, so you it's, can't. Yeah, it's like it's like Faustian deal. If the person who made the deal also loses the thing they got out of it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 just the most it's the most pathetic. Yeah, it's it really is. sad. So yeah. good job, Tolkien, for conveying Yeah, way that. to go. I have a note here on page 136. Okay. It's a note on an annotation on 136. 
Oh, actually, there's no there's no there note no on one thirty six. Right. Which I found interesting separately, and I don't think it was intentional, but this oh. chapter both opens and closes with no notations. I actually, this is why I had, that's why I, this is why I said a note on annotation, page 136. While the annotations in this chapter are educational, they are not my favorite. Reading pages and pages from previous editions all at once is not my idea of fun. So, that being said, we did discuss sort of that. It does sort of make sense that in, for this specific chapter, we, it, it might hopefully be an outlier. Let, and, and it's a chapter that is probably the most uh, important for retconning to make it work with the later books. And I kind of thought how he retconned it was interesting to make Bilbo's first telling, the 1931 telling, the lie. Right. I'm like, that's interesting. That's right. Put some thought into it. That's better than Walt Whitman or Lucas constantly changing the right. shit. That makes it work with the later narrative. And that's cool. Yeah. Both things are true from a certain point of view. From a certain point of view. The 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 lie is one thing and the truth is another. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Yeah, I agree. It's fascinating. It's well done. That's all my notes for that chapter. Are you ready to move into chapter six? Out of the frying pan and into the fire. Bilbo reunites with Thorin's company outside the goblin caves, but overhears them discussing their dissatisfaction with him when they thought he was missing. Nevertheless, the happily whole but hungry party pushes further into the wilderness until they are set upon by a pack of wargs. The wild wolves chase our heroes up trees where Gandalf throws burning pine cones at them, which inadvertently set the woods ablaze. Noticing the fire and commotion, the great eagles swoop in to investigate and ultimately rescue the adventuring party by flying them to a nice safe cliffside where they can rest in peace. That isn't to say they die, just actually get some rest. <laughs> um, I really have no notes. The one note I, I did have, I've do. already talked about, so... Well, here we go with my notes. Let's do it. Um, 146 on the annotation number eight. Here it is noted that many times Bilbo is compared to a rabbit in The Hobbit. Mm. But I, I have a few thoughts of my own on the notion. Besides living in a dry, comfortable hole in the ground, rabbits also have huge feet. Mm. It is also curious that Tolkien would otherwise seem to favor the word conies when describing rabbits in later books. And I wonder if that is a deliberate... Let's not continue this association between rabbits and hobbits. Unless, which is completely possible. I just don't know these words that well, unless Coney is a different kind of rabbit the way hair Mm. is. Mm. Fair. So Coney means like an eating rabbit or something. I don't know. Oh, interesting. Okay. I just just don't know. It could be exactly what you're saying where he's like, no, it's not a rabbit, even though it's clearly come from rabbit, at least partially. Come on, Tolkien. What are you doing? Yeah, right. right. What a weird thing to be like unless unless it was that student who wrote in a hole in the ground there lived a rabbit and he's still trying to cover that up oh wow tell you man it all goes back to plagiarism you you actually just amended your original theory but i think i i buy this one a lot more in a hole in the ground there lived a rabbit makes a lot more sense as a thing that someone would write and then for this guy to go why shouldn't I have this note? It's mine. <laughs> I've been working on it. Yeah. <laughs> I've been sitting here for years grading papers. It's my precious. <laughs> um, yeah, I like that a lot more. But uh, it, it's interesting how much like conversation there is in, in the annotations about, in this annotation about 
hobbits are not rabbits. I didn't take it from rabbit. Stop looking into rabbits. There's, it's, it's a nothing burger. There's nothing there. Quit investigating. Quit asking people about my about how I stole this from someone who wrote in a hole in the ground there lived a rabbit. Yes, perhaps they there are some similarities, but but and, and yes, perhaps I do have an awful lot of characters refer to Bilbo or Frodo as bunnies or rabbits and say things like that to them. Yes. And maybe, yes, that is me poking the bear of that person I stole this from. Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps it is my own little gloating for the man who has everything, but still never satisfied. Perhaps, perhaps I need to crush another person beneath my boot heels in order to feel anything, despite all my glorious success, wealth and renown. <laughs> in, in, I like, I like that it became the uh, JFK conspiracy. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit, and you can't prove otherwise. Yep. So, next note. <laughs> Page 156. Okay. I love Dory losing his patience with Bilbo, mm. especially the line, also, eagles aren't forks. <laughs> Part. I like that a lot, because I read it with such indignation and, like, just impatience. Just like, shut the fuck up, Bilbo. Like... <laughs> Where have you been, Mr. Disappears? Stop <laughs> stop ripping my legs apart kind of stuff. I, yeah. I I love that. Oh, also on page 160. Okay. So the very last page. My note here is, wow, Tolkien was a swiper. And I'm assuming I'm going to have to explain to you what that means. Um, 160, mm-hmm. which is just an illustration. Yep. Technically goes with queer lodgings, I believe. Oh, okay. But, but, but it's okay because I started to read it too. So tell me about it. I would argue, just for the sake of argument, I think that that's not correct. Well, I'll tell you why it is. Because if you read the first sentence of Queer Lodgings, the next morning, Bilbo woke up with early sun in his eyes. And if you look at the picture, Bilbo woke up with sun in his eyes by J.R.R. Tolkien. Perhaps. But if you're going to do this as a, as a book constructor, Mm. the pages should be swapped. Seven, the chapter seven starting should be on the left side of the page and the picture should be on the right side then. I don't know if that applies to annotations when you're already deep into the book and not on page one. Okay. <laughs> I, I I cannot agree with you, but... Um, uh, well, you know what? I do agree with me, and that makes two of us. <laughs> Isn't that you. right, Precious? Um, <laughs> I laughed a little too hard at that. Okay, so but on this because because now this is part of it. This uh, so, so, so this because because I go by the number of the chapter starts the chapter. Anything um, before that is the previous chapter. But an annotation is a sort of meta contextual. It can go anywhere, kind of. It shouldn't. It shouldn't go anywhere. Information. It should go directly where it should go, which is on the right page. If what this is in fact there. The hell do you mean, Bilbo was a swiper? What does that mean? Bilbo wasn't a swiper. Tolkien was a swiper. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. My bad. So swiping is this practice in art, but specifically mainly in comic book art, where an artist will essentially plagiarize, will copy a design or a a layout or something from a panel, a cover or a page or whatever from someone else's work without uh, attribution. This is kind of like how... Oh, shit, what was it? The the sorry. In Disney's Robin Hood, when Marion's dancing, yes. you can match the movements to the so earlier Jungle thing. Book. Jungle Book, thank so, you. Yes, yes. Okay. That, okay. That, 
That is that is exactly what swiping is. Yes. Okay, okay, because because okay, okay. in that they didn't say, "Hey, by the way, like we're like, isn't this cool? We're we're giving an homage here." That's not what that is. That is just that is tracing. That is the the that is like someone already copying. laid out these movements, and we're going to take them because it's going to cut our work time in half. Exactly. Gotcha. Uh, I think the same thing happens with uh, some parts of. 101 Dalmatians 2. Uh, yeah, oh, I'm like sure. Re- with Rescuers. I think I think yeah. something between Rescuers and some, one of the other movies of that time. All those 60s ones that have that kind of rougher, scratchy, right. pencil edge animation, I think, yeah. are probably drawn over a lot of earlier shit. But yeah, that's what swiping is. So, so there's there's some debate about what's an homage, what's a swipe. I think for me, it comes down to attribution and, and like faithful recreation. If you're actually sure. trying to recreate something and say... Like like something obvious, like for example, Todd McFarlane's uh, iconic cover to Spider-Man 300 is arguably itself a swipe of the the what do you call those things? The, the thing in the corner where it says like Marvel, but it's a little picture of Spider-Man. They have a word for that, and I forget oh. what it is right now. Yeah, I don't know. But that corner art thing, it's the 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 pose that Spider-Man in those earlier the black costume Spider-Man in those earlier uh, books around that time is sort of the same pose as the 300 issue 300 pose, but that issue 300 pose has been redone and homaged countless times because it's a pretty iconic image. And that's, that's fine. Every time you see it, you go, okay, I know what they're doing. That's issue 300. Okay. I get it. I know what that is. The difference would be if you did, he famously uh, redid it on a cover of Spawn, where it was Spawn in the same pose as Spider-Man. Oh, I've within. seen that. I never put yeah. that together. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is sort of an homage, or for him, it's self-referential. Right. But but when it comes to other artists, there are there are certain artists who will do things like take straight up images from movies and TV shows, and for some artists like Greg Land, who I will call out right here, will actually will will swipe freeze frames from things like pornography mm. and use that to like to uh to uh, he'll he'll trace it he'll as he'll put it under a light board yeah he'll use it as reference but it'll be a straight rip right so yeah that would be a reference like you said swipe right it's off. a swipe yeah. so swiping is a is sort of a dirty word it's it's like stealing a comedian's jokes it's just a thing you should not do it's a faux pas and it's 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 stealing it's plagiarism so here I think we have an instance of Tolkien doing the same. And I think it's it's kind of incredible that the book kind of calls it out in this uh, this picture here with this eagle on the left. It's an illustration of a golden eagle by Archibald Thornburn. Christopher Tolkien remembers finding the picture of his father in T.A. for his father in T.A. Cowards or Cowards Birds of the British Isles and their eggs. And then above that is a picture of of Bilbo waking up next to a great eagle on a cliff overlooking the Misty Mountains. And it is a very, very, very similar shape and picture of a very similar looking eagle, but just much more crudely drawn. I mean, I not to like say that this isn't an impressive painting, but it's oh, still no, just sure. But I it's feel like if we use Photoshop and overlaid one, the lines would match yes, up perfectly. Yes. It's, it's a lot like doing that. It's a lot like cut pasting Photoshop and overlaying and uh, masking out. Mm. So I just thought that was interesting that like he is he's clearly an accomplished artist to some degree, but it's not above swiping. Yep. So. All artists theft, Doug. I guess as he's, they he's, say. he is he is quite a thieving artist. It it come it it he comes out in arts. the annotation. Oh my god, what a burglar. Okay. I don't even think I have new words. Do you have oh, new I've words? got a couple. All right, well, let's do a new word alert. Yeah. 
both from this book and a both I've not yet looked up. All right, here's the first one. You ready? Yeah. Glissade. Oh, I have no idea what that is. Or Glissade. Glissade. I don't know what that is. I don't either. It was used in the book somewhere to perform a ballet glissade. Probably not. Let's look at the second. To slide in a standing or squatting position down a snow-covered slope without the aid of skis. Oh, so when they're being when they're oh, trying okay. to avoid the rockfall. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and then the other one was from a note, and I had never seen it. Mythopoeia. 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 M Y T H. M Y T H. Technically, the word was mythopoeic, but this ah. is what all it's giving me. Yeah, I had another one like that. There was like a word I looked up, but it wasn't. Uh, I think it was haymaking because I was like, haymaker is a word, but haymaking is must just mean the act of making hay. Uh, but that's not in the dictionary. <sighs> okay, now let's go off on a tangent. In Pirates of Penzance, they say, let her make her hay while the sun doth shine. So I thought it was just like, have fun. Or... I don't know. I, I don't like know. Um, Nothing to do with a punch, though. Because, yeah. as we all know, <laughs> she wasn't punching Frederick. <laughs> okay. Mythopoeia, I'm imagining, is uh, in reference to the, uh, like, lore... It has to do with um, with with the a a a, uh, a founded myth, not quite. Okay, creating a myth. Okay, or giving rise to myths. So definitely myth okay. related, but it's about the inception of it. Okay, yeah. that's it for my. I had another one that was like. Let me see if I can find it here in my recently googled. Um, is that a thing? Uh, apparently not. Uh, but I do have. I do I think I have one. If I again, if it's from a previous episode, I. It's hard to remember, but here we go. Elegiac. Elegiac. Which is also funny. I think there's a similar word in the Major General song. It's all coming back to Gilbert and Sullivan today. <laughs> and I think you may have done it before, and I also do not remember what it is. Well, I don't I don't remember doing it. It's an adjective of relating to or consisting of two di. Dactylic, of relating to or consisting of two dactylic hexameter lines, the second of which lacks the arsis in the third and sixth feet. Yes, it is. It is from the Major General song. Okay. Um, I'm going to find that line now, too. But that's funny. I quote in elegiacs all the crimes of Heliogabalus. <laughs> so, yes, he takes like the crimes of Heliogabalus, Heliogabalus and puts them into some couplets or some shit. That's hilarious. Wow. That it's all Gilbert and Sullivan today, man. Damn. <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, do you have anything else? No, I do not. Next time in uh, episode 152 of Death Readers, we're going to be reading chapter seven through chapter nine. So, only three chapters. But boy, are they apparently big ones because. It is like 80 pages, which I know is a bit more than usual, but this is how the crumbles or the limbus crumbles. I think the thing about this, and I will point this out for the listener to give us a little bit of a break is, uh, let me actually look at this a little more quickly, more thoroughly because I didn't do it before. No, it doesn't matter. There is a chunk in here that is just all the, uh, the color illustrations in the middle of the book. Mm. It, we're we're going to pass through that, but those don't count in the page count. They just make it look thicker. Gotcha. So it's still a bit more than usual. It's still going to be a bit more than usual, but uh, it's, the th- it's, it's three, three chapters. I mean, it, it would have been far fewer if we went to only the two. Right. All right. Well, uh, I think that was death readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. 
Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. Let's get into chapter three. I, I wasn't ready. I still have my fancy high cap open, so I'm going to open my notes now, and I'm going to look at a short rest. All right, that brings us to chapter five. Riddles in the dark. All no, I'm right. not going to do that. <laughs> That's okay. it. Um, uh, we're riddles... start over? Nope, just shut up. Riddles in the dark. <laughs>